0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you after after two weeks um, off, out of the pulpit. Um, it's uh, just—it's like coming home, and I am so grateful for you. Um, someone asked if we had a relaxing vacation. Um, well, we took our kids with us, so no, um, we didn't. But. Uh, it, was, it was great. It was refreshing. It was not relaxing, but it was, it was refreshing, and it was good, and we're grateful um, for the time away. So, uh, And it's good to be back. Would you grab your Bible? We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. As I was a, when I was a kid, my parents took us on vacation to the Royal Gorge. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. Um, not really vacation, but we went there on a stop on vacation. And I was, and am, um, sort of terrified of heights, to be quite honest with you. So I think I must have been acting up, and my parents wanted to serve me um, a nice, warm plate of humble pie, because when I got onto the bridge that goes across the Royal Gorge, I was absolutely terrified, if you've been there, you know it's a, about uh, 1,200 feet long, but it, it covers a chasm, it covers a gap that's about 1,000 feet high. Um, in fact, there's a, a sign about halfway through the Royal Gorge Bridge that says, You are 1,053 feet above the Arkansas River. And for me in my little teenage brain, we might as well have been 5,000 feet above it because I was absolutely terrified. And whoever built the bridge forgot to cover the little gap that's in between each of the planks because there's about an inch and a half gap that I was sure I was small enough to fit through. Right? So, so if you've ever been across there, and, and every car that drives across it, the bridge shakes and you're like, sweet justice, am I like on camera somewhere or what's the deal? And the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking... Who in their right mind would stand on one side of that canyon where there's nothing, look to the other side of the canyon where there's nothing, and think, you know what the world needs? A bridge. (laughs) A bridge from this nothing to that nothing. That's what the world needs. And in 1929, that's what the world got. 1,200 feet long, 1,000 feet above the Arkansas River, absolutely terrifying to everybody, maybe except you, that walks across it. But I wonder what that conversation looked like. That, that first conversation where, where somebody, and it's an anonymous guy who came up with the plan to build this bridge, where somebody stood on the edge of this cliff and looked across and thought, you know what I think we can do? I think we can build a bridge. You know what I think is, is possible? That a bridge could cover this thousand plus feet that stands in between this solid rock and that solid rock, and that someday people would be able to drive across or walk across this bridge. I mean, I mean what, kind of, what kind of faith, what kind of ingenuity, what kind of dreaming must have been possible in the person who stood there and thought that? Do you know what? You know, one of the ways that the Bible describes you if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, one of the ways the Bible describes you is as a bridge builder. And I think one of the jobs of those who follow after the way of Jesus is to look at the gaps, to look at the chasms that often exist in the lives of people, sometimes in our own life, to look at those gaps, those gorges, and to say, you know what? There's a way. There's a way to bridge that gap between, between where we are apart from God and who we are with God. The, the One of the core DNA elements of what it looks like and what it means to follow after Jesus. So we're bridge builders. Let me show it to you in the scriptures. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, um, Peter writes this to the churches. He says this, but to you, um, and, and he would write to us, Two, But you are a chosen race, a royal, what's the word? Priesthood. Um, the reformers are going to latch on to this, and they're going to um, sort of reinstate this doctrine that we call the priesthood of all believers. You know that word priest, when you boil it down, it quite literally means in the original language, bridge builder. There were a, a nation of bridge builders. A church full of people who look at the chasm, who look at the gorge, the gap that often exists between people and this great God who loves them, who died for them, who paid the penalty for them. And we, we are oftentimes the bridge between where people are at and the kingdom of God that God so longs for them to step into. You see, really from the beginning of time, people have wrestled with this idea of what are we created for? And if we are created by God, are there certain parts of us on a, on a DNA, on sort of a core human level that long to be reunited by, to this God who created us? So throughout time, people have said things um, like, like Blaise Pascal wrote when he said this. When he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum In the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. Um, So so some people have sort of picked up this terminology and they've said, we have this God-shaped void inside each one of our souls. Earlier, St. Augustine, before Blaise Pascal wrote that, St. Augustine wrote, God, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And really, they're both just pulling from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of mankind. That he designed people uniquely for relationship with him. And when we don't have that, there's this deep longing within each one of us. Part of Part of the way that God designed you and part of the mission that he's given you is to people who wrestle with this question God, is there more? That you would embody the answer. That you would, in many ways, be the answer. That God would use you as a bridge into the lives of people who are far from God. What a beautiful invitation. See, part of the narrative that followers of Jesus enter into is this conviction that God is reconciling, is bringing back the world to himself through Jesus Christ, and that we, some way, some shape, some form, are called, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, his ambassadors. We're bridge builders into this beautiful, marvelous, life-giving kingdom. And that's what we're gonna learn about this morning. We're gonna learn the followers of Jesus through Acts chapter eight, followers of Jesus, they're the type of people in the very core of their DNA long to build bridges into the kingdom for people who are far from God. If our heart as a church doesn't beat a little bit faster when we read this passage, we probably are not a distinctly Christian church. Because as we read the story, God's calling us to enter into the story. And to be the same type of people, same type of person that we're going to read about this morning. The scriptures say that in the same way that Jesus was sent, as truth embodied, not just a message delivered, but a person who became the message in the same way that he's sent. Did you know the Bible says you're sent, I'm sent in the exact same way. And we're gonna see a wonderful picture of what it looks like to live in that way this morning. Acts chapter eight, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, the scriptures we're gonna look at are gonna be on our screen If you're joining us for the first time this morning or for the first time in a while, let me catch you up with the story that we're in. We're looking at the book of Acts in the early church, the first church. Specifically, over the last few weeks, we've been studying a man named Philip. He was one of the earliest followers of Jesus, one of the seven who was picked to serve the church in a really unique leadership type of way. He was also one of the men who, when the church began to be persecuted in Jerusalem, was one who went out, and he started to share the good news of the gospel in the surrounding areas, specifically with um, the Samaritans. We're picking up his story after he leaves Samaria this morning. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, just a quick timeout. Anybody aware of a few things going on in Gaza lately? I don't know. If you're not, not aware, you might want to get off Facebook. Just check a news app every once in a while, okay? All right. So, a few things still going on in Gaza. This was a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kandakye, a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, as we get this picture painted for us of what it looks like to be and to live as bridge builders, people who, who sort of bridge that gap between people who are far from God and the kingdom of God, we're going to do that. We're going to get entered into it in the scriptures through a story. And there's two characters you sort of need to identify with to know as we begin the study. The first is Philip. Philip, as we said, was in one of the earliest followers of Jesus he was a person who was from Bethesda, which was part of what they called the Orthodox Triangle. It was an area that was known in the sort of Judean area. It was, it was known for being highly devout, highly religious, and for being um, ones who, as best they could, kept the law of God. So that's Philip's background, and as he enters into being a follower of Jesus, he sort of has this this DNA that carries with him, and Jesus starts to change that and starts to show him his grace and his mercy. That's the first character. Second character is the Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, please ask your parents after the service. Um, Well, I'll tell you briefly. A eunuch was somebody back in, in this day, in this time period who would choose to work in the queen's cabinet. So they would choose to, um, because people were fearful that those who worked for the queen would try to seduce the queen and try to um, uh, have children with the queen, they were people that in order to work for the queen chose to remove their reproductive organs so that they could get this job. Um, here's, what a picture of somebody who would be um, a eunuch today looks like. So because of the lack of testosterone that continues to go into their bodies, they start to develop some sort of feminine features. Uh, they start to lose the, what, what makes them look distinctly masculine. So this is the Ethiopian eunuch. He may have looked similar. To these, I think these, these, are from, these folks are from India, but they're modern-day eunuchs. So, we have this man, Philip, this devout background from devout Judaism, meets Jesus on fire with the grace and mercy of God, and he encounters, he's going to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch who came to Jerusalem 1,200 miles to worship or to enter into the conversation of what the Jewish people believed that God was like. This eunuch is... Politically powerful, works for the queen, works directly under the queen. Um, As far as resources go, he's extremely wealthy. But socially, socially, he's a type of uh, outcast, as we're going to see as we continue on in the story. So here's how the story continues. Verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go down and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Now, just a quick time out. Isn't that a great description of somebody who follows after the way of Jesus? They hear the voice of God and they run. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away From the earth, verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The declaration of the gospel. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Well, well, he also went on his way going, what in the world just happened? (laughs) Right? I, I mean... And and Philip, it says that Philip, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Yeah, he preached, and he wondered, what in the world just happened to me? Where am I? Does anybody have a map? Can you show me where I am on this map? Because just a few seconds ago, I was in Gaza, and now I'm not. But here's what he does. Regardless of where he is, Philip is somebody who preaches the gospel, Even when his head's spinning a little bit. His center point is, I may not know where I am, and I have no clue what just happened to me, but one thing I do know, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I know. And as we enter into this story, we're gonna see a few things that sort of start to jump off the pages to us about what it looks like and what it means to live as those who build bridges between the gaps that are often in people's lives and the kingdom that God longs for them to walk in. The first thing we see as we look at the story of Philip is that he hears the voice of the angel rise and go, and he does. And he hears the spirit say to him, over there to that person, and he runs and God sets up this beautifully orchestrated divine appointment that Philip just walks or is carried right into. And here's what we see about people who are bridge builders. So if that's a longing of your life like it is for mine, a few things we see from the scriptures is is that they're the type of people who trust that obedience, that when we walk with Jesus, when we follow his way, when we do life the way that he designed us to do life, when we're obedient to the things that he has instructed us to do, and we do understand, he leads us into opportunity. He opens for us doors that may not have been opened otherwise. And you know, here's what I'm struck with in the life of Philip. He has far more questions than he does answers. Philip is part of what we would call a revival in Samaria. I mean, left and right, he's seeing Samaritans turn to the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. He's seeing this church built from its very incipient stages. He's part of it. He's training up men and women who would lead this church. And God says, go. And he does. He leaves this flourishing ministry. And he goes to Gaza. At this point in time, Gaza's a ghost town hundred years previous, it had been destroyed. Philip is quite literally walking into the fog. No clue what awaits him. He just knows this. He knows if God's calling me to do it, I'm gonna be faithful to go. And as I go, he's gonna show me why. And he's gonna be faithful to provide opportunity to lift his name, his glorious, beautiful name high you ever wondered why God doesn't sometimes tell you the why? I mean, am I the only one that goes, hey, God, like, here's what, I'll obey, but I just need some of the blanks filled in, right? God, I'll I'll do that. I'll go there. I'll have that conversation if we can talk about what's going to come from it. Am I the only one? And and I think one of the reasons God sometimes doesn't tell us the why is because we wouldn't go if we knew the answer. Because let's unpack this. Philip, leave a flourishing revival to go to a desert place, Luke points out for us, in Gaza, ghost town of a hundred years. Why, God? Well, because there's a man there. One man? Yeah, one man. um, Because there's one man, there's this eunuch there. The one guy's a eunuch? Mm Mm-hmm. And he doesn't understand the prophet Isaiah. Wait, 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 wait. So so I'm leaving a revival and I'm going to one man, to a eunuch in the desert to unpack to him the prophet Isaiah. Yeah, that's it. Go. Go. And what we see is as we go and as we're obedient, God starts to show us what he has, but not all at one time. And there's some of us that are thinking maybe in our jobs, in our workplaces, maybe in relationships that we're in, maybe in in our home life where we're starting to think, God, your way isn't getting me where I want to go quick enough. And so I'm sort of going to tap out of that way. And the way you've called me to do relationships, the way you've called me to live my life, the way you've invited me to be a person who builds bridges for the kingdom of God, and and obedience isn't working out that well, and so I'm going to sort of tap out of that, and I'm just going to do things my way. And one of the things we see in the life and story of Philip is that as we're obedient to God, as we respond to his invitation, his prompting, his spirit, and his word, he's faithful He's a type of God who brings opportunity our way. See, here's a key truth we learn in this passage, is that a willing spirit, a willing spirit and an attentive heart leads to lives of great significance. See, we think the people that make the biggest impact are the most gifted. Not true. Very little Correlation the people who make the biggest impact are the most responsive to God and the most obedient to him. You look throughout the scriptures time and time and time again. And some of you are thinking of tapping out and you're thinking of going a different direction. Will you look up at me for just a second? Will you look up at me? Continue down the road of being obedient. He'll bring opportunity. It's what he does. He does. See, the story of Philip continues as he's obedient and as he walks down this 56.3 mile trek as a crow flies. I don't know exactly how long it was on the the way that, that Philip went. Two day trip from the area that he was down to Gaza. And he sees this Ethiopian eunuch sitting up in this chariot. I can just imagine his thought as God says, go to him. His thought is him Wait, wait, Are there, is there like a mass gathering of people behind him? Well, sort of, we'll talk about that at the end, okay? But it's just him. One guy, a guy who's a social outcast. And Philip not only is obedient to God, but the next thing we see is that people who build bridges, they're the type of people who resist fear and who engage questions and doubts. I don't know when this happened, But at some point, church became a place where everybody pretended to be okay and have it together instead of the type of place where somebody like the Ethiopian eudic would have felt at home. Somewhere along the way, church became this place that we pretend we have all the answers rather than asking really good questions. And I just want to say as clearly as I can this morning, if you're here today and you have questions and you're not quite sure about who this Jesus is and what it means for your life and what he's inviting you to, can I just say as clearly as I can, as clear as I can, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. And you may never have all those questions answered. A lot of them, there's really good answers for, and we long to walk alongside of you. But can I just say, as you doubt, you're welcome here. As you ask questions, you're welcome here. As you don't get what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus, you're welcome here. And as people who long to build bridges into the lives of others, we have to be okay with that tension. We have to be okay with the questions, And when we fear people's doubts, we cripple their potential faith. And as a church, I think God is asking us, hey, will you re-engage the questions? They're good questions. Will you re-engage the doubts? They're, they're okay doubts because when they're resolved, they lead to a flourishing life of faith. And hey, 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 hey. you might be the answer to some of the questions that people are asking you might be the answer. Look at the way that this Ethiopian eunuch talks to Philip. It's beautiful. Verse 30, it says, and so Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, this eunuch says to him, how can I, unless someone, what's the word, guides me? How can can I, unless God divinely brings somebody alongside of me that would be a guide. That would be a guide. I want to, and very briefly, as briefly as I can, point out five things. I love this terminology about a guide. I was a backpacking guide for four years, and I think it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like um, to do evangelism, quote-unquote, in a healthy, life-giving way. A guide. So here's five things that good guides do, okay? You can write them down if you want. You don't have to. No test at the end. Here's what good guides do. Good guides, one, are great followers. Good guides are great followers. You see this in the life of Philip. Uh, Philip says, or uh, God says to Philip, through an angel, go to Gaza. He goes, he says, that's the guy through his Holy Spirit, and he runs to him. And what we see first and foremost about Philip's life is that it's submitted under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The best spiritual guides are those who are submitted under the lordship of Jesus and who are first and foremost followers before their guides. Because the ultimate guide. The ultimate guide is, is God Himself, through his Holy Spirit, looks into the way that John in his gospel records this. He says this, "When the Spirit of truth comes, Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. Same word, same word. The best guides are also the best followers, One, two, the best guides are people who meet others on common ground. They say to people, You don't have to come to me, I'll go to you. So you see this picture of Philip? I mean, can you get it in your mind? Running towards this chariot that has a Ethiopian eunuch he's never met sitting on top of it. I mean, crazy if God isn't in it, right? Just running. I'm there! Where? I don't know. Him. And they're people. The type of people who say to others, you don't have to come to me, I'll go to you. You don't, you don't want to come to church? That's fine. Why don't, why, don't you, why don't you check out our small group? You don't want to check out our small group? That's fine. Why don't we meet at the park? We can talk there. Why don't we meet at, for coffee? Why don't we meet where, wherever? What's your turf? I'll meet you there. He climbs up in his chariot, sits down next to him. Can you imagine? Ethiopian eunuch, Christian Philip, Riding along in a chariot together. Romantic comedy match made in heaven, right? I mean, (laughs) but we have to ask, what does it look like to meet people where they're at? The third thing, the third thing that great guides do is they point out truth that is already in view. Hey, what are you reading? Do you understand it? Let me tell you about it. We, um, when we were in California uh, over vacation, we went to the Wild Animal Park. And while we were at the Wild Animal Park, we took this 2.5-mile tram ride that we always take when we're there that goes around this sort of simulated African safari. And as you go along the African safari, you have this um, person that's, that's driving this shuttle. And as they drive, they point out things to you that are in view. And one of the things that they said as we were driving up, we, we stopped. And she said, what do you see to, on your left? And, you know, somebody says, a rhino. She's like, right, a rhino, but not just a rhino. That's Nola. And we're all like, Nola? (laughs) (laughs) One of seven great white rhinos left in the world. One of seven. And as we're looking at everybody's eyes are like, oh, wow. What's she doing? She's being a guide. She's simply, the whole time, pointing out, here's what you see. Here's what you're taking in. Let me translate from your brain that doesn't know much into my, from my brain that knows a ton. Let me be the bridge between what you see and what's really there. What might it look like for followers of Jesus to point out what's really there. Oh yeah, yeah, you go up in the, outside at night and you look up into the sky and you see stars, a lot of them. But, but more so than that, If you look closely, maybe, just maybe, what you see is that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. There is no speech or language where they are not understood. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge, speaking, shouting his name. What if we got really good at helping people connect reality and what they see with a deeper truth of what Jesus is doing and who he is and the way that he's inviting them? Come live as a part of my kingdom. And you see, here's the best thing that Philip does as a guide. One of the truths that he points out as a guide for this Ethiopian eunuch is he went up and he worshiped at the temple. But what Philip does is he points out, hey, worship is not the end game. Arbitrary worship is not the end game. Every person across the face of the globe is a worshiper of something. What Philip does is he points out the deep truth that worship of Jesus is the main game, is the end of the game. Worship of Jesus is the ultimate calling. And he says, all those things you've been worshiping are leading you here. See great guides, they also push people to new horizons. They say, "Hey, you can go there. You could do that. Go for it." So Philip, or the Ethiopian unit gets baptized, and they celebrate accomplishments. They celebrate accomplishments. Man, will you look up at me for just a second, South, I long for us to be great guides. I long for it because I think more and more our world is asking really good questions and they're looking for people who won't fear the questions and they won't fear the doubts but they'll walk alongside they'll get up in their chariot and say let's talk let's talk well when he climbs up he sees the here's the Ethiopian eunuch reading this he says and now the passage of scripture he was reading was this like a sheep he was led to a slaughter And like a lamb before his shears, silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Now, we don't know if just coincidentally the Ethiopian happened to be at this place in the massive scroll of Isaiah that he was reading, Or if maybe, just maybe, he'd read through the scroll and this was one of the turning points. We call this the songs of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. One of the turning points in the book of Isaiah, and a few chapters later, it's going to talk about the fact that, that the eunuchs are welcomed in as better than sons or daughters, Isaiah chapter 56, three through five, jot it down, go read it. It had to be on his mind and heart in some way, but we don't know if he'd, he was just happened to be reading this or if he went back to it because it just stuck in his heart and in his soul, and he started to ask this question, what type of person does this? What type of person is led to the slaughter like this? What type of person doesn't open their mouth to defend themselves? What type of person is given no sort of justice and enters into grave humiliation? What type of person? and what we see about this Ethiopian is that before he ever knows the name of Jesus his heart is being drawn to him he's enamored with Jesus without being able to put a finger on the name but but the questions that he asks am i okay does anybody hear me does anybody love me is anybody for me? Even in, in my state, even in my, with my decisions, with my past, is anybody for me? He gets caught up on the reality that the definitive answer from heaven through the grace and mercy and blood of Jesus is yes. Yes. God is for you, God has paid for your sin. Yeah, he stands not saying a word doesn't justify himself because what he does is even though he's innocent, he takes on our guilt and our shame and our punishment and he steps into our place. And I think deep down inside this Ethiopian wonders is this type of love really actually possible? And here's what bridge builder type people do. They passionately, ruthlessly point to the scandalous, using that word intentionally, grace and love of God. Here's this, this question that the Ethiopian asks towards the end Hey, there's some water. Is there any reason why I I shouldn't be baptized? Now, remember, remember, he just got done worshiping in Jerusalem, worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. And so outside of that spot of worship, there was a sign. There's a sign probably from the book of Deuteronomy and it said this, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Wow, didn't think you were gonna hear that at church today. And so the whole time he's there, he's on the outside looking in. The whole time he's there, he's reminded my past has disqualified me from a future with God. The whole time he's there, his decisions have severed him, Tensional usage of the word from God. The things that he's done in his past defined his future. Is there any reason why I shouldn't be baptized? In his mind, he's going, I can give you a few hundred if you want them. Here's where I've been. Here's what I've done. Here's the decisions that I've made. And Philip's answer is nothing. No reason. Trusting in Jesus? Yeah, but I got a lot. of no, 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 but. Are you repenting? Are you changing the way that you think? Yeah, well, then the kingdom's open to you. Yeah, well, I've got a whole U-Haul full of baggage from the way I used to live. Great, let's go down and get baptized because Jesus is saying it's my mercy, my grace, and my perfection that welcomes you home. And see, people who are great bridge builders, they are not turned off by people's exterior appearance that seems to suggest there's no way God could reach them. There are people that go, hey, the grace of God reached me, and I know what's capable inside of me. And they are passionate about that same grace and that same scandalous love being displayed to every single person around them. So Philip goes down in the water, gets up out of the water. The Ethiopian unit goes down in the water, gets up out of the water, looks at Philip. Philip disappears. (laughs) And the Ethiopian goes i got to tell somebody about Jesus. Do you know that today over 65% of Ethiopia is Christian? And those Christians are indigenous to that place. And those followers of Jesus, 65% of that African country who call themselves followers of Jesus, they point back to this Ethiopian eunuch. Who was captured by the grace of God and who said, hey, if God can reach me, there's no reason he can't reach everybody in this country, so let's roll. Friends, I, I pray that as we step into this invitation from God, and as we look at people's lives and as their lives seem to suggest there's a gorge, there's a chasm between them and the kingdom of God, may we be the type of people, friends, who say, hey, 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 I bet my God can build a bridge between here and there. May we live like we believe it, Would you pray with me as we close our time together today? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.